Thank you so much. It's so good to see you tonight. Thanks for coming out. This is a special night, an unusual first Wednesday, because we are going to be ordaining a young man to the gospel ministry. And so we're very excited about that. You know, as I stood here tonight, I was just thinking, looking out in the audience, I know some of you are new to New Spring, and so consequently, when you think about Stephen, you know him as a pastor, and I look around some of the others here, and I think there are those of you who were here when Stephen was born, and so you've watched him grow up all these years, and he definitely is a New Spring Church product. I mean, first and foremost, he's a product of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you guys have invested in his life, and so tonight it is, it's a, it, in some ways, it's kind of a payoff of watching God work in a young man's life and investing in the church and seeing that fruit come to pass. So tonight, I'm going to do something as we get started. There are six members of the ordaining council. These are ordained pastors. Uh, some you will know, uh, but all of these are very special in Stephen's life. So I'd like to ask our ordaining council to come. It's going to take us a little while because we were in the office and you guys took all the good seats. So uh, they had to sit up in, the, up in the balcony, but I'm going to ask the ordaining council to come forward. In an orda ordination, there, there are several things that take place, but primarily two that are most important. Tonight there will be a charge, and a charge is where uh, a gospel minister whom God has used greatly, will speak truth into Stephen's life. And not only that, will hold him accountable before God and before God's church to know what his responsibilities and duties are. And then at the end of the service, we'll have the laying on of hands. And El and Stephen will kneel down here at the front, and the ordaining council will come and lay hands on them. And uh, we will pray over them. And in that laying on of hands, as we'll discuss in just a few moments, it's a sign, a seal of, of our support and our belief in Stephen. And also there is a New Testament concept, a sense of the imparting of a gift at that moment. So that's what's going to take place. Several things will happen tonight. So I'm going to ask the ordaining council to be seated behind me here. And now I'm going to ask Stephen and Elle to come up on stage. Would you welcome Stephen and Elle? God has blessed them. They have two little ones, and uh, Sophie, and Sophie is almost two. You can tell Stephen's just a little nervous tonight, right? <laughs> and then Zeke was born just a few months ago, and beautiful children, and God is at work in their lives, and so we're th so thankful. Um, on the platform behind me, there are several who have known Stephen all their lives. And the first person I'm going to call to begin our service with prayer is our newest pastoral staff member. That's John Renfro. And John is serving as our care pastor. And, what, and he's Austin's dad, I guess I should say. All those years, Austin was introduced as John's son. So now we introduce John as Austin's dad. But what a great man, longtime pastor. And I can just tell you, uh, God has used John uh, to speak into my life, and he is so gifted and such a blessing to our church. So I'm going to ask John Renfro to come and open our service in prayer. Well, thank you for being here tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your presence in this place tonight. If you have met us and already as we have sung praises to your name, as we're about to hear the truth of your word, Father, I thank you for this church family, for this body of believers, and the special opportunity that we have tonight to come aside you as you have called out Stephen to the gospel ministry and as you have ordained it, that Father, by our observations of his commitment and faith to you and his actions to honor your name and to share your faith and love, that he's been called out to a special place of not only opportunity, but also accountability, Father. And so as we come here and gather tonight for this sacred time, Father, I pray that we would encourage him, affirm him, pray for him, Father, as you have designated and called him to this special purpose. 
I ask that you would guard his family, protect them, Father, keep that the focus of his life, and then use him, as I know you will, in a very significant and special way to bring honor and glory to the kingdom of God. So, Father, again, tonight we celebrate as a family, as Stephen is recognized, and we affirm God's call on his life. We thank you again for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About 20 years ago, I was speaking in Southern California at a great church, and uh, I met uh, the man who was executive pastor of this great church, and I remembered thinking he's one of the most gifted, brilliant leaders I've ever met. And I thought about him many times through the years. Pastor Johnny Hunt puts together a by-invitation only pastor's conference uh, once a year, and I've been privileged to participate in that for about eight years. And a year before last, or actually it was last year, I went to that conference and ran into my friend I'd met 20 years ago, and it was so good to see him. Uh, pastor Kerry Schmidt is now pastoring in Connecticut. They have a phenomenal church up there in the Hartford area, and it's amazing. I, Mary Alice and I had had a privilege of spending some time with their staff, actually three staffs up there, and it's, a, it's just an extraordinary work that God has his hand on, and, and I'm so glad you get to meet Carrie tonight uh, because Carrie's going to do something really, really special. He's, first of all, he'll share his, his thoughts with you, but uh, again, this will mean a lot to those of you who have been at New Spring for a long time. I have a dear friend that you will remember was our guest speaker for many years, and his name is Don Sisk. Don was the longtime president and general director of Baptist International Missions. And Don has known Stephen every day of his life. In fact, we found out that we were pregnant with Stephen the day before Don and Virginia came to town. So he was one of the first people to know that Stephen was on the way. And uh, Don can't be with us tonight, but Don is also a good friend of Carrie's. And so it, I just felt like it was so fitting that Carrie be here not only to share a word with you, but also to read the message that Don wrote to Stephen this week. Carrie? Well, I want to say uh, congratulations to Stephen and Elle for this wonderful, awesome moment. And I want to say congratulations to Mark and Mary Alice. What a treasured moment when your son is set apart for the gospel ministry. And I had no expectation of doing what I'm about to do, but it is a privilege to stand and read a letter from uh, Don Sisk, as your pastor said, a mutual friend of ours. And the thing that I, I think I most respect about Don Sisk, if, if you've ever met him, he is uh, well into his 80s now. He has preached the gospel all over the world, really. Uh, for over 60 years, uh, God took uh, Virginia to heaven just a few years ago, or about a year, a little over a year ago now, and uh, he's just continued to go from place to place, encouraging the next generation, and, uh, and I'm one of those that he's encouraged so much. Stephen is too, and there are a few men who have influenced me as much as this man that I'm going to read a letter, and Stephen, this is to you from, uh, from Don Sisk, Okay. I, don't, I can't speak with his voice, but I'm going to try, okay? Uh, what a privilege to read this to you, though. He says, It is rather difficult to describe a young man like Stephen Hoover. I remember him as a young child. Then, as now, he excelled in everything that he did. He excelled in his music. He excelled in his understanding of the Bible. I remember preaching a sermon about Balaam's donkey when he was about two. Mary Alice told me that he went home that day and began to preach that sermon. <laughs> Recently, I listened to one of his sermons from the Kings and Queens series. He preached a creative sermon called The Shark. He explained that a shark was someone who excels in their position. He preached the message on Queen Esther, explaining that she was both godly and wise. When I think of Stephen, I think of him in that definition as a shark. I also think of Stephen like the Bible character Timothy, 
who had a wonderful childhood and heritage. Stephen's grandfather was a Baptist preacher. Stephen has wonderful parents who, from his childhood, have taught him the word of God and godly principles to live by. He saw in his parents and grandparents biblical Christianity in real life. In his childhood, he excelled. In grammar and high school, he excelled. In college, he excelled. And I'm thrilled that he is now in the ministry in a very important role at New Spring Church. I have no doubt that he is still excelling. Stephen, my prayer for you is that you will be used of God in a wonderful way to bring many to him and to train those who are brought to him. Rest assured that I am praying for you and your ministry. I love you and I thank God for you, Don Sisk. That was, I appreciate so much what Don said about heritage. And I think it's befitting at this moment for us to, to do something. No, no one can be called into ministry successfully unless God gives them, I believe, a great life partner. And El, I'm so thankful for you. You're such a godly young woman. And tonight, I think it's fitting that we honor El's parents because I will tell you, they're two of the most special people on the planet. Andrew and Deanna, would y'all stand just for a moment, and would you honor Andrew and Deanna Giorgiello? Andrew and Deanna have raised their family to honor God and put God first, and Mary Alice and I treasure, treasure that gift. Well, I don't need to introduce the next person to you. Uh, but I think it's very special, and I've, I've got to be honest with you, I've been looking forward to this whole night, and I can't wait to hear what everyone is going to say on the platform, but this is a really unusual, almost unique moment, because what you're going to hear now is a brother's perspective, because Stephen's older brother, Jonathan, is also an ordained pastor, as you guys know, he's senior associate pastor here at New Spring, and I didn't, I didn't even ask Jonathan what he was going to say, I just said... As a brother, and it's interesting because the, the way our, our kids' our birth order is, Jonathan is 37, am I right? <laughs> you know, I've been through several seasons in life. I, I was through the season where I saw my dad's hair thinning, and then I saw my hair thinning, and now I'm seeing Jonathan's hair thinning. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a sign that I've, I've been getting on up there, as they used to say. Uh, but uh, Jonathan's 37, Jared's 35, and Stephen is 24. So when Stephen was born, Jonathan was, I guess, on almost 13. And in fact, uh, there's a story that goes with this. I'll tell it sometime. But uh, we did. We, oh, I'll just tell it now. What better? <laughs> I'm not preaching tonight, but uh, I, I try to be really careful about which appointments I accept these days. But gosh, I was what 37. And so um, I had a, a revival. I was preaching in uh, Tulsa in early April, but Stephen wasn't due until the first part of May, and so I felt like I was going to be okay. And a mutual friend of Carrie's and mine has a great church in Washington, D.C. area, so he contacted me and said, hey, I'd like for you to come preach our conference this year. And it starts on Wednesday night. I said, I can't do that because I'm closing out a meeting uh, on t in Tulsa on Wednesday night. He said, well, I'll get somebody else to preach Wednesday night. You come Thursday through Sunday. And I said, well, I don't think I can do that because Mary Alice is expecting and we're getting pretty close. And so I talked to, told Mary Alice about it. She said, well, I believe God's in this. I believe you need to go ahead and say yes. Well, what we didn't know was we had to induce Stephen, induce Mary Alice, I guess I should say. <laughs> and uh, so Stephen wound up being born right before the Tulsa meeting. I mean, I, we, Stephen was born on Thursday and Saturday I was driving to Tulsa and took Jared with me and preached uh, Wednesday night and drove, got back to Wichita about one o'clock in the morning and stayed up all night with Mary Allison and Stephen. And then Jonathan and I flew to Washington, D.C. the next day. And, uh, you know, even then, even though I didn't know Jonathan was going to be called into the pastorate, I look back on moments and there was a wonderful moment there that has a whole lot to do with where you're sitting tonight that happened on that trip. And I'll never forget getting down beside 
the bed in our hotel room and praying that God would do a miracle and you're here tonight because of that miracle. I'm thankful that Jonathan was there to pray with me that night, even at the age of, of 12. And uh, God has put his hand on him. God has blessed Jonathan and you guys are the beneficiaries and I'm the beneficiary and the kingdom is for the calling that God has put on his life. I'm really interested tonight to hear what Jonathan would say to Stephen and to Elle, a brother's perspective. Jonathan? Actually, it reminded me of a story that I wasn't going to tell, but <laughs> there is a, I'm going to turn this way a little bit. There is, there is this pretty significant age difference between the two of us. And uh, so my, so Stephen started first grade as I started my freshman year of college. And I went to college in Florida. So I was home for Christmas a little earlier than your school let out, and my mom said, you know, it would be nice if you would go pick Stephen up from school and bring him home, you know? And I thought, this is gonna be awkward, you know? Here I am, this, you know, I'm this 18-year-old college student, you know, driving up and picking up my, my first grade brother, and he may not even want me to do that, you know? But, uh, so I did, I, I went over to Central Christian and I, I, got, I just showed up at his class real low-key, you know, at the end of the day to pick him up. And I'll be doggone if this kid didn't grab me by the hand and drag me around to every teacher on campus and say, this is my brother, he's awesome, he goes to college. <laughs> I mention that because from day one, you've been a joy to have as a brother. And I'm really, really honored to get a few minutes to talk to you at the beginning of this special service. Tonight, you're going to be encouraged, you're going to be blessed, charged, set apart to the gospel ministry. But for a moment right now, I'd just like to do one more thing. I'd like to affirm some really special qualities that I think God has placed in your life. The first is your passion. To know you personally is to experience you as sort of a laid-back, gentle, easygoing guy, kind of quiet, actually. So the first time I ever heard you preach, I'm like, who is this guy that I'm listening to, right? <laughs> but you know, I learned that if I was to engage you about the gospel privately, you became just as fiery and passionate about it, whether the two of us were talking alone or whether it was you on this platform. You know what I learned was that you're incredibly passionate. I just hadn't been talking to you about the right topic yet, you know? I just want to encourage you not to let that passion die. I want to encourage you to remain passionate about this because it's so important. I love 2 Timothy 4.2 that says, preach the word of God and be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Stephen, I'm afraid the time that you and I have stepped into ministry is a time where the gospel message is not as much in favor as it once was. And yet, I think that just means that we need to be more passionate than ever. I think that it means that this is a time for tremendous, intense passion about what God wants to do at New Spring and in Kansas and on this planet. And you have that. You need to keep it. I don't think I've ever met someone so prepared to speak the truth about Jesus to others than you, Stephen Paul. Second thing I just want to affirm is your humility. Stephen, there is no room in the ministry for more people with an inflated sense of self, right? There, there is no room in the ministry for renegades. God is, God is looking for servants. He's looking for men with a burden and a passion and a calling and someone who will do what he tells them to do, right? I'm thankful for your humility. One of the reasons I believe God has blessed New Spring is that it tends to be a place where pastors, staff, and volunteers tend to check their egos at the door. And I encourage you to continue to do that. You've set a wonderful example in that way. And the final thing I want to affirm, Stephen, is your trustworthiness. I think there are many people who could get up on this platform and could attest to the fact that anything that you've been given to put in your hand as a responsibility or a task. You've done well, and you've done it with intention, and you've done it to the best of your abilities, always. And I want to encourage you that the ministry will, will require nothing less from you. 2 Timothy 2 one says this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong 
with the special favor God gives you in Jesus Christ. I tend to believe that I may, I don't think I've ever met somebody for whom God's favor rests so strongly. You're 24. I can't imagine what God is going to do with you in the decades ahead. It's amazing to me to see where God has brought you at 24. 24. It's amazing to me to, see, to think about what God is going to do. So be strong with that favor, right? Lean into it. God is doing things through you, so make sure you use that open ground that God has given you. And I know he's going to do great things through you. I don't need to tell you at New Spring, who've been here for a long period of time, that one of the greatest lights in my life, and my dearest friend in the ministry, is Pastor Johnny Hunt. Pastor Johnny leads the First Baptist Church of Woodstock. He is, has served as president of the Southern Baptist Convention and is now taking on an incredible assignment, an extremely strong assignment to impact evangelism in the United States. Uh, he travels the globe. The fact that he could leave his busy schedule and be with us here tonight at New Spring is a tremendous blessing. Just can't think of anyone I would want to charge one of my sons in the gospel ministry. I can't think of anyone I would want to do that more than Johnny Hunt. Two years ago, he stood here and preached Jonathan's ordination. And tonight, he is here to preach Stephen. Would you welcome my closest friend in the ministry and our dear friend, Johnny Hunt. I guess my next invitation will be when their grandchild is ordained or the third son surrenders to ministry. Uh, Janet and I are thrilled to be here. Uh, we always are, and we dearly love your pastor and Mary Alice. I guess the most appropriate verse to share is literally my favorite verse in the Bible. It's Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7. For you, Mark, the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. I want to speak tonight on this subject, the Lord's model of a great leader. But then there's another title that will cause us to really press in, a look into the heart of a mother. Only the Holy Spirit of God could have penned such words where when Paul wanted to speak to the church at Thessalonica, and talk about what a pastor should look like, he would use an example that everyone that has ever breathed the breath of life would understand because he uses the model of a mother. Everybody has a mother. So listen carefully to these words. 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning at verse 7. But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherisheth her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, the laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached the gospel of God. As far back as I can remember, my mother did everything for me. Yet, February the 23rd, 1985, at 60 years of age, Bessie Mae Oxendine Hunt died of congestive heart failure. However, her heart never failed me. In Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul speaks of a mother's influence and also her inspiration. It's been said that everything rises and falls on leadership. So Paul, using the mother as a model, causes the expectation to rise in the life of a spiritual leader. So scripture offers leadership by example and direct instruction on the subject of spiritual leadership. So effective spiritual leadership is the combination of Character and activity. 
Now, if I had time to deal with verses one through six, Paul presented the exemplary leadership virtues of Paul's inner life, uh, tenacity, integrity, authority, accountability, humility. But in the verses we're going to look at, he views the outward function of the divinely approved spiritual leader. And in order to display these functions, he uses a metaphor, namely the mother. A metaphor is simply a word or a phrase for one thing that's used to refer to another thing in order to show or suggest that they're similar. So Paul chose to use the most intimate, compelling metaphor of a mother to illustrate the primary kinds of spiritual care leaders must provide for people. So here's the bottom line. If you want to know what a pastor should look like and how he should care for his people, take note of how a mother takes care of her children. So the passage uses the mother's love and care to speak of a spiritual leader, a pastor, the love and care for the church and the gospel. And often the apostle Paul would do this. Galatians chapter four and verse 19 says, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So Paul pictures himself as a mother who first labored to give birth to them and then labored longer to bring her children to spiritual maturity. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, he pictures himself as a spiritual father. He says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. So I want to just give you two words. Number one, a metaphor. So as mothers are absolutely and indisputably essential to the well-being of children, so spiritual leaders who minister with a mother's gentleness, intimate affection, sacrificial love, and unselfish labor are essential for the health of the church. He uses the word gentle, which means to be kind to someone and it encompasses a host of other virtues, such as acceptance, respect, compassion, tolerance of imperfections. And by the way, that's a biggie. Patience, tenderness, and loyalty. I, I was raised by a single mom. My dad checked out when I was seven years old. So my mother raised six children. And I remember uh, oftentimes, it seems like we sometimes say there's always a black sheep in the family. I could tell you that I led one of my brothers, a couple years older than me, to faith in Christ, and he's been pastoring 30 years just north of where I've been serving for the last 32 years. I could tell you that I had the privilege of leading my mother to Christ, my father. I could tell you that I've got a sister, and uh, she was hard, but I witnessed to her, and she came to Christ. I'll never forget what she used to say to me. She said, I'll tell you what I'm not interested in Christ. You think the only people that are going to church are the people that attend your church. I said, Mary, that's not true. I don't think half of them are going to make it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Mary came to Christ. She serves as a greeter in our church. My sister Barbara serves in my brother's church. But then I have a brother that's in prison. Say, so how under heaven does that fit into this message? A person who becomes a good pastor becomes tolerant of imperfections. And it's easy as a pastor to be tolerant of imperfections when you come to realize, I've been a pastor for 42 years, and this is the truth under God. I've never had as much trouble with any person I've ever pastored as I've had with myself. Oh, that was a good place to say amen. But, um, <laughs> it's Missed the opportunity. But a tolerance of imperfection. I, I used to say to my mother, good night. Everybody's trying to do what's right. What's wrong with Freddie? And my mother would always come up with a kind word. And the Bible says that if you're going to be a good pastor and you're going to be a spiritual leader, uh, you need to have tolerance of imperfection, tenderheartedness and loyalty. So the question is, can you explain Paul's degree of gentleness? 
He says, in comparing a pastor to a mother, he says, as a nursing motherly mother tenderly cares for her own children. So Paul is saying, I attempt to exhibit the same feelings as a nursing mother when I care for the church's spiritual needs. So to some, this would appear weak or unproductive, but the standard for self-centered leadership is to accomplish the leader's desires through the people. But in the church, the leaders have the privilege of seeing God do dynamic things in changing people's lives because your major purpose of being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to watch the gospel change the lives of the people. So he says he cares for them, tenderly cares. It literally means to warm with body heat. It's the opposite of harsh or indifferent, but it's tenderly nurturing. So that's the metaphor. So Stephen, Paul says, you want to be a good pastor? You want to be a good spiritual leader? And boy, you have the model. Love your people the way your mother loved you. And then we move to a second word, and that's the word motive. What's the motive of a pastor having spiritual leadership? Deep love. Your care is motivated by love. Someone said at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a criteria that's threefold as God considers what we've done with our life. He's going to reward that which has been motivated by the love of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, and done only for the glory of God. So deep love. So your care is motivated by love. The Bible says that the pastor, the spiritual leader, is to lead with fond affection. Now, let me tell you why this word is so significant to me. It's the only time it's used in the Bible. I mean, so when you're studying a text and you think, wow, it's only used here, it must really be significant. It means to long for someone passionately and earnestly and being linked to a mother's love. It's intended to express an affection, listen to this, so deep, so compelling as to be unsurpassed. It's really like saying, God has called me to do this and it's not that I can't do anything else. I don't want to do anything else. It's, it's unsurpassed. Nothing could be greater than the privilege of not just knowing him, but spending your life serving him. And when I begin to research this word, they say that they found it as an ancient inscription on the tombs of dead babies. And it contained this term, when a parent wanted to describe their sad longing for a too soon departed child. And then one writer put it this way, the child's death did not cause the deeper love, it only revealed it. So that leads me to two questions, and it'll fit you in one way and it'll fit others, including myself, another way. So when you think about a pastor Caring for a congregation the way a mother cares for her family, her children. What do you love most about your mother? Or if she's gone, what do you miss most about your mother? Since my mother took care of six children, how under heaven? I don't know. Two of us, pastors. One's a leader in the church. Two ladies serving the Lord and one in prison. My mother died at 60. I'm 66. I outlived my mom by six years. I had been pastoring since I was 23. Got converted at 20 out of the pool room. And within three years, I was serving my first church. And so I was struggling in those early days. And I'd only wished that I, my mom had lived longer till I could get on my feet so I could do some things for her. But the bottom line is a mother never does what she does in hopes of what you will do for her. And the women's heads are shaking <laughs> in the congregation. Uh, they do it out of pure love. And as long as we remember while we're doing it, 
that we love the God of the church and we love the body of Christ. We're doing it for the right reason. Took a summer to read the reformers one summer. I just thought I'm not going to read anything but the reformers. And I came away with this statement. The reformers constantly rechecked their motives. We've got to never forget what it was like before we were saved. And we've got to realize, as Freddie Gage, that I did his funeral just a couple years ago, used to say, eternity's too long to be wrong. So God helped me to help people get it right and to love the people just like our mother loved us. The second word is deep longing. So it draws out three things. Number one, it's who mothers are. Number two, it's what mothers do. And number three, it's why mothers do it. So here's the bottom line. To the mother, their calling was the highest joy of their heart to so love. Uh, that desire defined an eagerness and a zealousness that generated from a love-filled heart. So he said that as a pastor, I impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. And impart's just an interesting word. It means to share or to give someone something of which one returns a part. Uh, I, I can't help but believe that Mark and Mary Alice's uh, thinking along the lines of someone that was at our church last Friday night. We kind of did this throwback in music and had Bob Carlisle and Avalon and Point of Grace. I mean, you know, they've been off the scene, most of them, for many years. And Bob Carlisle wrote the song, Butterfly Kisses. And in there he said, of all the things I did wrong, I must have done something right. And... Uh, Mark and Mary Alice, uh, you did something right. Uh, when I have the privilege on two occasions in a two-year period to ordain two sons. And what a privilege that your children observe as a whole the entire work of God and then can't think of anything they'd rather do with their own life than to serve the God of their parents that has become their own personal God. You just need to know that oftentimes children of ministers think, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my life, but I know what I'm not going to do. But when you love people and people love you back like a mother loves their children, begin to think, I can't think of doing anything else. And one of our ministers, Brother Wright, said it well a moment ago to Stephen. He said, really, the call of God is coming to a place in your life that you don't want to do anything else. So when you impart the gospel and you impart your own life, you give someone else the good news of salvation, yet without losing possession of it themselves. And so the gospel of God, it just, the gospel of God basically takes us from salvation, sanctification, glorification. It's the message that calls us to repent, to embrace Christ's death and resurrection. It instructs us to live holy lives in obedience to the scriptures in the power of the Holy Spirit. It calls us to wait for the glorious coming of the Lord Jesus for his church. And then kind of winding it up, he says, but also our own lives. They gave up their soul, their, their real inner being for the sake of others. I mean, bottom line, since all of us have a mother, a mother, it seems like, puts their life on hold in order to meet the needs of the ones God gave them to serve them. I know my own wife is here. Uh, I'm confident that our home is what it is because of her investment, more so than even mine. I'd like to think I contributed some, but, but it's her, the mother's love, that made the profound impact and difference 
in my daughter's lives, and now even in my grandchildren's lives. So they gave their own souls for the sake. Speaks of sacrificial service. So a mother who fulfills the biblical role for motherhood does the same thing when she, at the great cost to herself, unselfishly and generally sets aside her life for the benefit of beloved children. <laughs> we were uh, all together as a family not long ago. And so we had purchased some gifts for our children, for our grandchildren. And they came over and every time they would open a gift, they'd look over and say, thank you, mother, or thank you, me, mommy. The other kid would open a gift. Thank you, mama. Thank you, me, mommy. And I began to think, how about me? And so, Stephen, I'm going to give you a word of real wisdom. It sort of got under my skin so much, not a single one of them ever said, Dad or Papa. So I thought I would say something, and I just want you to know I won't ever say it again. <laughs> I said, so, Miss um, Janet, you're getting credit for all of the gifts. Now tell me where you work. <laughs> yeah, I wish you'd have said that before I said it. <laughs> and uh, just in a few moments, my wife stood up, and she said, oh, you want to know where I work? And when she began to tell me where she worked, I just want you to know, I would not change jobs with a mother, all right? So, um, so the question is asked, why? Why they had become dear to us, and here it is. This text reveals the heart of a godly mother, or does it reveal the heart of a godly pastor, or does it reveal the heart of a godly leader. It reveals all three. So, Stephen, my prayer for you is that God would give you the capacity to love the church and love the people you preach to and the people you lead the way your mother has loved you. Thank you, Johnny. That was wonderful. Um, before we have the prayer of laying on of hands, I'd like to just say uh, a few things about Stephen and about his call to the ministry. Uh, I, Stephen is a third generation pastor. My dad before me was a pastor in Texas. He pastored the same church for almost 50 years and then joined our staff as our care pastor not until not long before God called him home. And I think because I was so concerned about if indeed God should call any of our children into full-time ministry, I wanted to make sure he called them and not me. I never talked to Jonathan or Stephen about being in ministry other than serving and volunteering in their church. And... Uh, they had to come talk to me and even then only answer their questions. And I, I've been, I was always concerned about um, if indeed there was a call, I wanted them to know that God had called them into it. Because quite honestly, anytime anyone serves in a pastoral role, there, there are so many difficulties associated with it. And no one should do it unless they're called. I was talking to the other pastors and Stephen before we came out here, and I really believe the greatest metaphor for God's calling in a pastor's life is found in the call of Moses because there was a snake involved. And, and I hate snakes. There are two kinds of snakes in the world. There are those that will hurt you, and there are those that will make you hurt yourself. And so uh, for the snake to be there, I find it interesting that God told Moses to pick it up. That's a bad idea. I've never picked up a snake not a poisonous one. That was most likely a cobra. And, and I feel the same way with the gospel ministry. Nobody should pick it up unless God has told you to pick it up. And so because of that, I probably went too far to the opposite extreme and never talked to the boys about ministry until they came to me and said God had called them. 
But I'll never forget the night that Stephen shared with me God's call in his life. It was eight years ago, this coming uh, last week of November. And he and I had always talked about his gift of speaking, and he did a lot of forensics in school, as I did, and he had always thought about doing something in communication. He had kind of thought he was going to be an attorney or go into some form of communication, and so we'd discussed that a lot of times. But we had started a series here at New Spring um, on prophecy. It was a Christmas series, and I was preaching the very first sermon of that series, and at the last minute, I just decided to give a panoramic view of God's work through the ages, starting with pre-creation to creation to the, flood, to the fall, the flood, the call of Abraham, the nation of Israel, Jesus, his death on the cross and resurrection, the church, all the way into the rapture, which we just covered, a clash of dynasties, the millennial kingdom, the eternal state. So I just just talked about God's work all the way through the ages. And we were on the way home that night, just Steve and I in the car. Mary Alice had taken her van, and so we were in two cars that night, just Stephen and I in the car. And Stephen said to me, Dad, I heard what you preached tonight about God's work through the ages. And I promise you, it came as a complete shock to me, even though I knew he was gifted. He just said, Dad, God spoke to me tonight, and I have to be a part of that. I have to be a part of what God's doing. I believe God's calling me to preach. And that was eight years ago in just a few weeks. And since that time, God has worked in Stephen's life. And one of the things that you might not know, and some, many of you will know, is for years, starting with uh, elementary age, Stephen volunteered. In fact, a lot of times when we had five services, he would go to one service and volunteer in the other four, and he'd do different things in each service. And I, I'm so thankful when I walk around New Spring and I see the hundreds of kids volunteering and serving here, and I'm excited to think about what God is going to do in the future. But here's the thing that I want to stress. I did not call Stephen. God called Stephen. God gave him a voice. A voice told Jonathan and Stephen both, have your own voice. Don't copy me. There's already one of me. That's one too many already. Just, just do what God is leading you to do. And I believe God has given you a great voice, and I believe the best is yet to come. I remember another occasion, Stephen and I were in the car a lot together, and, and uh, as Jonathan and I were in his generation, but uh, we spent a lot of time in the car together. And one day Stephen said, um, Dad, what, what do you think ministry is going to be like in my age, in my generation? I know this was in 2013. And I said, well, son, I said, I think it's going to be a lot tougher than it was in my generation. I said, I think you're going to have two open doors. I think there are going to be two zones of time where you're going to have an opportunity to have a real impact. And I said, one of those will be, ultimately, there will be a pushback against technology because right now it's everybody's, not, every, not us, but it's everybody's God right now. And sooner or later we'll find out it's not God as it just gets more annoying and difficult and it doesn't solve the really deep felt problems that human beings have. So I said, at some point, just sort of like in Metropolis back in the 1920s, there's going to be a pushback against technology and there will be a little open zone right then for the gospel. And I said, the second one will be when postmoderns learn that even though they may believe that all belief systems are morally equivalent, they'll discover that not everything works. And I said, there will be an open door then. And that's when I started talking about, this is, this is too much information, but uh, I said, sort of like, sort of like on, in the book of Acts, on Mars Hill, I said, you know, because you read in Acts 17 about how all the intellectuals came there to learn what was going on. I said, they were just practically living. And all of a sudden, I stopped dead still. Now, if you were here in 213, you'll understand this. I, and Stephen thought something was wrong with me. He's afraid I was having a stroke. He said, Dad, are you okay? I said, living on Mars, living on Mars. And that's, that's how we had that, that series in 2013. People always ask me, where do we get these series? It's stuff like that, trust me. <laughs> But I know this, I know God's hand is on Stephen, and Elle loves God with all her heart, and they are raising their family and serving God, and I just thank God for them. And so at this moment, I'm going to ask Elle and Stephen to just kneel here at the altar right here. And one of the best friends that I've ever had in the ministry, you know, before the service, um, I was just sharing with the other members of the council that uh, 
when you pastor mega churches about two miles from each other, oftentimes there's a little spirit of competition. But Joe Wright, who pastored Central Christian for so many years, and I have been prayer partners and dear friends, and I can't think of anybody I'd rather have pray the prayer of dedication than my longtime pastor friend here in Wichita, longtime pastor of Central Christian, now Summit Church. And Joe's been sick. He's been in the hospital, but uh, he had to be here tonight. And so I'm going to ask Joe to lead us. The rest of the council will come and lay hands on Stephen and Elle. And I'm going to ask Mary Alice to come join us. I'm going to ask Andrew and Deanna to come up and join us as we lay hands on Stephen and Elle. And then Joe, would you come and say whatever God has put on your heart? And then pray the prayer of ordination. I want to ask all of you to join us in this and just reach your hand out toward this couple, if you would, right now as we set them apart, as we ordain them to the ministry of Christ. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and glory for who you are. You are our creator. You're the only true and living God. And Father, you've known this couple before we did. You know their hearts better than we do. You made them, you knit them in their mother's womb. And Father, you have a plan for them. And so Lord, tonight we set them apart. We set them apart for ministry. To lift up your son, Jesus Christ, in everything they do. We ask, Father, you will use Stephen in a powerful way to preach the gospel. Lord, we pray that you will use this wife to support him and encourage him and always be a blessing as well. Lord, help them to preach the gospel every moment of their lives and when necessary to use words. Lord, just give them lives that will shine in such a way that people will be drawn to Jesus Christ. May others see your Son in them. And Father, I pray for this congregation that they will gather around and support this young couple and lift them up and encourage them and be a blessing to pray for them, to love them. So Father, right now, because we know the desire of their hearts, we set them apart, we ordain them to the ministry of Christ, your Son, your living Son, who defeated death on the cross for our sins. We set them apart in the name of Jesus for such a time as this. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming here tonight. God bless you.